All right, we're back. Uh, first podcast in a while. And uh, I guess I've just had some things on my mind that uh, needed to get down. And sometimes, if it's a lot, um, I don't journal it or put it on Facebook or whatever. Just It's just easier to, to record it. So because I don't care if anybody, if, if no one listens to these necessarily, um, uh, it's, it's just me needing to get something out, and of course, you know, I'd like people to be interested, but, um, it's not a requirement. Anyway, uh, had some things going through my mind in my dream last night, of course it was based on some things that I've been thinking about in my life. And um, I guess the main inspiration for it was I was I was reading a message from an old time preacher and um, some things stuck out to me. He was talking about how we are, as Christians, we are supposed to um, feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those in prison and... and um, spend time with the sick, you know, comfort the sick, stuff like that. And um, I talked about how that's how God will judge us on the throne. And that those that do those things um, are doing them as though they're doing them unto Christ and they'll get to enter into heaven. And those that don't do those things are it's it's almost as if they refuse to do those for Christ um, which you know uh, in our minds we're thinking we would never you know if Jesus asked us for food we would never refuse him if Jesus was naked we would give him clothing if Jesus was in prison sure we'd make a trip to visit him uh, if Jesus were sick we'd go bedside and hold his hand and and comfort him. Of course we would do those things. <clears throat> well, Jesus said, if you don't do them to th- these, the least of my children, you, you, you don't do it unto me, and you're cast into outer darkness. And as I was, uh, as I was reading this message from this preacher, <clears throat> he was talking about how that's how God's going to judge us as far as whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. And there was no mention in the sermon of, of grace. There was no mention in the sermon of trusting in the name of Christ. There was no mention in the sermon of um, repenting, repentance of your sin. There, there was none of that stuff. It was just basically, if you do these things uh, for those that are in need... You're doing it as unto me, and you get to go to heaven. <clears throat> and I, I kind of, I kind of wondered how we would take that as Christians today if we went to church and heard this sermon with no mention of grace and repentance and and all of those things. And I, I think that we would probably. Uh, complain, uh, you know we we may go to the preacher and say, <clears throat> "I have an issue with your message today, and here's what it is." Uh, we may go to 
someone else in the church and say, hey, we got to get rid of this guy because he's, you know, did you hear a sermon today? And Or we may think, you know, well, he's preached about repentance before. He's preached about grace. And, and I'm assuming then that he wants us to take all of that into consideration. Well, if you had heard that sermon, what would you think? Well, I didn't hear the sermon. I read it, and where I read it was in Matthew, and the preacher of old was Jesus. And I thought, you know, Jesus didn't. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and those that followed him. His, you know, he's, he's got the, the 12 disciples that we're familiar with, but there were other disciples, other followers that weren't in the inner circle that he taught. And they listened, they followed him around different places. Um, they just weren't the ones that went everywhere with him and did everything with him. But uh, he was he was talking to people that weren't going to be around for the millennial kingdom, and and uh, and and I get that you know this is interpreted that way, and most theologians think that that's the case. But when I consider the <clears throat> the people that Jesus was speaking to, why did they need to hear about the millennial kingdom? What what? What message was in there for them? And you might think, well, maybe that message was just for them to hear, to know a little bit about the future, so that Matthew could write it down and and give it to us today. Okay. According to to, I guess, I don't want to say most theologians, but according to the theologians that maybe I subscribe to, I'm not going to uh, be here during the tribulation or anything. So, um, I don't know what good that message is to me today as far as my salvation because my salvation is based on grace and repentance and Jesus' death on the cross but that wasn't included in the message so uh, the message isn't necessarily for me so is, is the scripture like null and void until somebody reads it during the tribulation? I doubt it. Uh, I do think that this message is meant for us and it may not be Jesus telling us that our, our, our salvation is through works or works alone. Um, and I don't believe that, you know, we can work our way into heaven. I don't, I don't believe that at all. But this does raise some questions to me that Jesus didn't mention repentance or Jesus didn't mention uh, grace or his death on the, his coming death on the cross, things like that. Uh, his focus was on certain works and the works are it, it just it just sticks in my craw and I, I don't I have no idea what that means but it seems like the appropriate term it it, it just really bothers me it, it it's something that keeps going back through in mind um, I, I've 
I've gone through something in my life that um, I shouldn't have. Um, I I put myself in a bad situation, and um, uh, it uh, it you know it just it blew up. Um, you know, you play with fire, you get burned, kind of thing. And uh, <clears throat> since that time, I've been kind of excommunicated from churches, I don't want to say from churches, from a lot of my former Christian associates. And um, since that has happened, I've, I've only had really one pastor that's checked on me to see how I'm doing with the whole situation or to see if there's something I need or to, you know, help take care of me. And he's gone way above and beyond what I would expect anybody to do. But um, he's the only one, um, pastors anyway, and very few uh, of my Christian friends. And uh, and I, I, I do have needs. I do have some things that that I struggle with, whether they're emotional or financial or or whatever, uh, because of this situation, and I can't, it's, you know, it's something that I put myself into, and so I can't really ask, I can't do a GoFundMe or anything, because it's, it's extremely embarrassing, and, and, uh, the rejection of, of people, I'm not helping, you know, you made your bed, you sleep in it, kind of thing, and, um, so I got to thinking about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, George Bailey, got himself in a situation and he didn't necessarily get himself in a situation he found himself in a situation he'd been a good man for a long period of time and and all of a sudden the bottom falls out and you know that's how I felt that's how I feel and so he struggles with man I wish I hadn't even been born but man I know how he feels and <clears throat> So, you know, we, we know the movie. George Bailey goes through this whole thing where God teaches him what life would be like if he hadn't been born and the effect that he's had on other people and teaches him a lesson. But then at, at the end, his family and friends and acquaintances, you know, people that necess not, weren't necessarily friends' friends with him, but people that he's helped come through for him. And... You know, they, um, they they support him and they um, have this gathering and people give what they can um, to, to bail him out. Well, if that's how he got the name Bailey or not, but they bail him out. And, and he's not in trouble anymore. You know, it's a great story. But it's not true to life. Uh, and, and, and I don't even want to say that because in, in a lot of ways it is. But, but here's... Here's where I have trouble with the whole situation. And, and, and this is where the scripture uh, from Matthew fits in. If, <clears throat> if a needy person in the community comes to the church and needs help, they go to the church secretary who's usually the first one that they meet and they, you know, hey, I'm uh, my family's hurting. Is there something that you guys can do to help us? We're in, a, in this bind. 
and the church secretary is like, well, let me see if I can find somebody, and and uh, I'll call somebody down. Let's make an appointment. You can come back at such and such a time, and somebody will meet with you. And and uh, so these, you know, people are in need, so they'll come back at that certain time, and and somebody will meet with them, and and that person will ask them all kinds of questions about. Um, you know, what's the need and do you have family that could help you with that need? Do you have a home church? Because you really should go to your home church, which is our way of implying that you know, if you were just part of a church then you wouldn't have these needs probably, because Jesus' eye is on the sparrow, even though uh, it wasn't that long ago I saw maggots eating a sparrow in my driveway and and a cat eating a sparrow and um, you know his eyes on the sparrow well yeah of course his eyes on the sparrow but that doesn't mean there's no suffering um, so we give him the third degree you know we, we try our best to find different solutions so we don't have to be the one to help him out and then of course we imply that their problem is spiritual uh, because we want to you know leverage this help into, you know, getting them to come to a service or sitting through a, um, a message or, you know, something. We, we want to get them, and, and, and it's good that we want to use the outreach that we have, you know, in order to reach people for Christ, but then we get this, this thing in our head that this person that's in need must need Christ as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in need. Well, that's a horrible thing to say. It's a horrible attitude to have. And I hear it all the time. And it just drives me crazy. So, <clears throat> getting back to that. Uh, you've, you've got this, this family in need that comes in. And our whole goal is, you know, what? here's a $15 Brookshire's gift card. You, you can't use it for alcohol. You can't use it for cigarettes, which, you know, is good. But to point it out that way implies that that was their goal. And we make these people feel so horrible about coming and asking for help. Um, and, and I think we do it on purpose so that they don't come back again, which is not our stated goal at all. So they, they feel terrible about it. We make them feel terrible about it. And, and our whole attitude is, what is the least I can do to help you go away? Let that sink in for just a minute. Because I don't think that that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25. But then we've got the George Baileys of this world. <coughs> Let's say, because this is a recent example uh, from real life, a missionary comes home from the mission field um, who, while serving the Lord, got malaria and almost died. And part of this is true, uh, but I don't know all the details, so I want to make up some details. So this missionary comes back home and people send cards and letters and visit and donate and do bake sales and 
um, take special offerings for this missionary to show them how much we love them. And we go out of our way to honor this person. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that we are not doing it to the least of these when we do it to him. Think about that for a second. On one hand, we have somebody who doesn't deserve, in our minds, help. And so we avoid help all that we can, and we we resent the help that we give that person a lot of times. And and I know you think, well, we don't. We really love that person. I've I've been involved in benevolence ministries. I've seen. I've been involved in ministry for a long time, and I have seen it over and over again. I've seen people with mental illness mistreated and talked down to and made fun of by people in the church. I've seen the assumptions about people that come in asking for help about how they're just going to buy drugs with it or uh, alcohol or cigarettes or if they would just do things better if they just would pray or trust more I've seen I've seen the attitude towards the least of these and then I've seen the attitude towards these people that are honorable and the George Bailey's that have done so much good that of course you know, we want to reciprocate. But in Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, it's not talking about those people. It's talking about those people that no one else gives a crap for. We're supposed to be those that give a crap. And I love the fact that God says, if you do it to them, you're doing it to me. So, so let's go back to the George Bailey thing. <clears throat> if you had money in your pocket to give, and George Bailey is somebody that's helped you out, and he was in need, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus is in need, uh, where are you going to give your money? Well, uh, how do you refuse... God, how, how do you how do you pass it? God and say, hey, you know, you can perform a miracle and you know meet your needs. Uh, I'm going to give mine to George Bailey. We wouldn't do that. Um, we would focus on Jesus first and foremost. Well, Jesus said first and foremost, if you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. He didn't say anything about the George Baileys, did he? And and I. I know people, this this goes in one ear and right out the other. Um, it doesn't stick. And, and you know, <clears throat> again, this, this isn't for you. This is for me. Um, if you get something out of it, great. But Jesus is making the point. He doesn't just make the point that, you know, I, I, I wish that you would do this for the least of these. I wish that, no, he makes the point that, for one thing, if you do it to them, you're doing it to me. For another thing, if you don't, you're going to hell. Now, people will tell me that Matthew 25 is talking about, well, these are the Christians, they're already Christians, and of course they're doing these things already. No, Christians are not doing those things already. 
if, if this was the sheep and the goats, the Christians and the unsaved, and they were, he was making the point that those of you that are Christians are doing these kind of things, those that are unsaved are, are not, that's crap. That's not true. Because I've seen more, uh, I don't want to say unsaved, I've seen more unchurched people uh, meeting the needs of the least of these than I've seen church people do it. The church people I know, and, and, I, and, and if you're one of them, you may not be included in this, but I, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. The majority of the church people that I know or see um, don't do this. They, they don't look for the least of these to help. They don't look for the most needy in order to help. They look for the most honorable to help. Now, if that's not work salvation, I don't know what is. If you do good works, I'm going to reward you with my time and money. If you don't do good works, I'm going to resent having to help you because I'm a Christian and that's what I'm supposed to do. Do we not see a problem with that? I do a prison ministry. Those of you that are listening probably know that. Um, I consider those guys to be in that category of the least of these. And, and it directly mentions those that are in prisons, how we're supposed to come to them or visit them. I think that means not physical visit. I think it means to to communicate with them and comfort them in their situation because it's 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 a horrible situation there and there are those of you that are listening right now probably thinking well i think prisons are just too comfortable and you know they should make it so that people don't want to be people don't want to be there i guarantee you they don't want to be there it's not a comfortable situation people die from the texas heat while in prison because they don't have air conditioning most of them um i've i've heard people talking about uh, snakes able to get into their cells and they can't they can't escape them um, critters going down the hallway between the cells um, flooding uh, did you know that during Hurricane Katrina that more than a thousand prisoners were never accounted for after the cleanup uh, they they're just gone they couldn't get out of their cells um, I don't know if they were out in the yard or whatever and the floods came and they just got swept out. I don't, I don't know the situation, but I know that there were a thousand prisoners that were never accounted for. Uh, during this last hurricane that was, that was uh, hitting the East Coast, um, I was reading in an article that in the mandatory evacuation zones, they were not evacuating prisoners. mandatory evacuation zones and they weren't going to evacuate the prisoners uh, during Katrina prison guards fled left men locked up I'm telling you these are the least of these 
And then I think about the hungry. I think about those, uh, you know, here in the United States, but mainly those in other countries. Um, I, I get a lot of Facebook friend requests from Nigerian scammers. And, of course, they use a fake profile. They think that, you know, um, if they send me a friend request and they're an attractive female, that I'm going to take it, and I, I don't. Uh, when they communicate with me, I, I pretty much assume that I know uh, who it is. You know, they're they're a scammer, and so tell them I'm not interested, and they'll keep talking, and then I'll tell them I know that they're a Nigerian scammer. Most of the time, they'll just delete the request and everything, but sometimes they'll continue either trying to scam me or they will admit to it. And so I've talked to a few of them that have admitted to it, and... and uh, I ask them questions about why they do what they do, and and uh, you know, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't, I don't want to trick people into giving me money, but you know, everybody in America is rich, and I'm, I'm starving. I need food for the day. You know, could you send me fifteen dollars or whatever? And uh, I don't. Um, if I had an extra fifteen dollars, I'd I'd like to send some coffee to the guys that I write to that are in prison. But my heart does go out to those that uh, are reaching out for for help for food, and I don't know how trustworthy that is or anything. And I know that fifteen dollars of my money goes a long ways in Nigeria or or. Um, uh, you know, other places in Africa, and I'd like to help, I really would, but but I can't, so I, I feel bad for those that are hungry, and it's easy to just say, uh, you know, I've, I've got needs too, but then I think about some of the things that I, you know, I spend five bucks a day on Diet Cokes, and, you know, that five bucks a day could really go a long ways to somebody in Africa. And uh, makes me just wonder where my priorities are sometimes. And, and I, I think about the homeless people. You know, there's this story that's been in the news about this homeless man that gave his last $20 to this woman who was stranded and needed gas. She was so grateful for his generosity that um, she uh, set up a GoFundMe page for him and raised, uh, I don't know, $300,000, something like that. And um, so her and her husband, uh, you know, took some of that money and bought him an SUV and a camper and uh, gave him some cash and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then... Uh, they came back and checked on him and supposedly had spent some of the money on some drugs. And so they started withholding the money from him until he'd get cleaned up or whatever was their story. Uh, but in the meantime, they were spending it on all kinds of vacations and bought a BMW and extravagant clothing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and then spending all of that money that uh, that they were giving to him. And their point was that, you know, hey, he's just going to waste it. 
And that does happen. Um, I, I know people with mental illness that uh, have been homeless or are homeless or, or go from home to home, and they never accumulate anything because they're moving from one place to another all the time. They're getting evicted or can't pay the rent this, this month or whatever, and they're moving on and um, in and out of jail and things like that, and so their disability money gets stopped while they're in jail and, and uh, just bad situation all of the time. And um, th- th- there's never any stability there, even though they have money that could give them stability. It's just there's a, a mental instability um, or emotional instability that goes along with that, and that gives them the financial instability. So despite our best efforts, and I know the government doesn't give them a lot every month, but it's enough to pay rent and get some food because they get food stamps, things like that. Um, they could be stable, but they're not financially stable because they don't have the mental stability to go along with it. When when I was this guy's payee, um, I took care of those, you know, he had a house and I, I, I took care of his bills and then gave him what was left, you know, every week or every month or whatever, kind of however he wanted because he was pretty much responsible with the extra money, but as long as I paid paid the bills and stuff for him. So, uh, you know, just throwing money at a problem isn't the, the solution. We need to get involved in that person's life. You know, instead of, you know, here's a little bit of food or whatever, go your way. Um, hopefully you won't be back because we're keeping track. Uh, we've got a, a notebook here with your name in it, and you've got help on a certain, certain day, so we have a limit to how much you can get. Well, we don't have that same limit for the missionary that come home, do we? Uh, it's, it, this is, it's just something that really bothers me because that's not what I get out of Matthew 25. I get the extreme importance that Jesus puts on helping those that are considered the least in our society. And we all know who that is. It pops into your mind when you hear the least of these. Somebody probably popped into your mind, somebody specifically, or at least a group of people have popped into your mind. And what are you doing to help out those people that popped into your mind as the least of these? The reward for helping the missionary is helping the missionary. That's it. The Whatever glory you get from, you know, we did this for, you know, this person that's a good thing you know I'm not saying they don't deserve it in fact I would bet that that missionary has the Matthew 25 mindset to help the least of these Uh, might be why he became a missionary he's going to the people that nobody else really cares for uh, because we, we have it so easy here in the United States that we think that the Great Commission applies to, you know, hey, I'm supposed to witness to my neighbor, and by witness I mean um, invite them to church once in a while. Um, I'm supposed to leave a track in the bathrooms. Um, 
But, you know, there's people, we hire people in our church. There are people that are on staff that are supposed to go, you know, uh, tell people about Jesus and how to be saved. That's my part is I pay the salaries of these people on staff. Well, you know, the Great Commission tells us to go into all the world. Well, I got a job. I can't go into all the world. So um, when I give my tithe every month, a portion of that goes to missions. And so that's me going into all the world. That's my part of it. So are we... In place of the Great Commission, are we giving money? Is that is that how this is supposed to work? Can we do that in, in other areas, too? Because throwing money at a problem isn't us taking an active solution in it. And that's why we, we use the term throwing money at a problem, which implies that we, we keep expecting the problem to be solved by continually adding more money to it in a futile effort to solve the problem which needs a hands-on approach. But we think that we've done our part. Oh, I've prayed for the missionaries today. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. This is not a program. God didn't set up a program for us uh, to become more efficient and streamlined to reach the world. He wants us to reach the world one person at a time. Now, if, if we can't go to Africa, God understands that. But we can go to our neighbor. We can go to the guy at the gas station that hits you up for uh, your pocket change every time you pass him to go in to buy your Diet Coke. And I'm talking to me here. Um, God gives us that responsibility. And God definitely does not want you to pass up those considered the least of these. Read Matthew 25. Uh, and I know, you know, you can say, well, that's not for us. That's for those that are going to live through the tribulation. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that... I, that may be the direct interpretation of it, but I don't think that Jesus was given the message to these people... And then the message to us, for us just to say, doesn't apply to me. I think that there are some things in there that he wanted us to get from it. Don't you? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. And, of course, not everything in the Bible. You know, we're not supposed to live by the Levitical laws or anything like that. Uh, how many of you... You know, even though we we tell each other we're supposed to keep the Ten Commandments, how many of you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? We don't do that. I, I don't do that. I barely keep Sunday holy. Um, I don't keep the Sabbath day holy. I don't follow the, the Sabbath laws or anything like that. Um, the Bible's, you know, not applicable in every instance to us. Some of, some of the stuff was specifically for certain people. But... Do you really think that this doesn't apply to us That in Matthew 25 that Jesus doesn't want us to treat the least of these like we treat him? Uh, man, I would have a hard time saying that that's not what Jesus is telling us here. 
there are a lot of George Bailey's in the, well, maybe there aren't. There are not a lot of George Bailey's in this world. We see the George Bailey's. And so, so in our minds we think, you know, there are a lot of people that I would do that for. And the people that we think I would do that for are the people that have done something for us. So are we really doing something for them? We're, we're reciprocating. We are paying them back. We're not sacrificing anything. We kind of owe them a debt, don't we? Uh, everybody that helped out George Bailey kind of owed him a debt. They, they owed it to him to help him because he had always been there for them. In some way or another. It might not have been financial family members it could have been the emotional support and you know he was a he was a good man uh, of course we want to help out the good man but Jesus pointed at Matthew 25 is that the bad man the person you think of as despicable and unworthy of help Jesus not only wants you to help them but he wants you to help them as if you were helping him that's why he says, if somebody asks you for your coat, give them your cloak also. If somebody wants you to walk a mile with them, walk two. And, and of course he's not speaking, with the coat he might be speaking literally, but when, when he's talking about walking a mile with someone, I think he's talking about being by their side and, and helping them through a rough time. And if they ask you, you know, hey, could you help me with something? They're probably not asking you for their entire need. They're only asking you as much as they think that you might be willing to resentfully give them. They do need more than that, but they're too embarrassed to ask for, for more than that. It's, it's kind of like if I need $50, I'd have a hard time asking a friend for $50. I might ask, I might, I might be willing to ask for 20 um, I have this thing that I do. If one of my kids or my wife asks me if I have five bucks, I'll just use that for an example. They, they know this. If they ask me for five bucks, I'll give them ten. If they ask me for ten bucks, I'll give them twenty or something like that. And I, and I think every one of them knows that I, that I do this. There's a reason that I do this. Because I feel like they're just asking for the minimum. They're just asking for enough to get by. And maybe I think that because that's what I would do. They're, they're just asking for what they... As little as they can. As little as they have to ask for. Because they don't... They don't, they, they don't want to ask me for the whole shebang. They don't want to ask me for above and beyond. They want to ask me for just the very minimum. And I appreciate that. So I give them extra because, uh, let's say, Tiffany needs ten dollars for gas to get her through the week. I don't want her just to have enough to get gas and, and struggle to get through the week. I want her to have enough to get some gas and maybe something to eat or a snack or something to drink or maybe just have some money in her wallet in case she has a need for something that should be our attitude 
Our, our attitude when somebody comes to the church should not be, how little can I give you in order to get you to go away? And I know you probably think that that doesn't happen, but it does. I've seen it. The, the, the one that really bothers me is, well, we give to this other ministry and we're going to send you over there for them to dole out the money to you because we don't want you coming here. And, of course, they don't say it that way, but that's exactly what they're saying. We, we purposefully give our benevolence money to this other ministry in the community that helps out people because that's where we want you to turn when you have a need. We don't want you showing up at our doors. What, what in the world? Does that not bother you? It bothers me. I don't like this world. I really don't. I used to. But the more I live in it, the more I see the dirty underside of it, the more I long for heaven, the more just tired I am of this life. Is, is, is this all it's meant to be? Is this all there is to it? You know, Solomon went through the whole thing in Ecclesiastes about what is life? What is the purpose to all of this? This is, and Solomon had everything. And, you know, if, if, if I were to sit here today and make a list of things that I thought would make me happy, where I thought I would enjoy life and, and maybe stick around on this, on this planet a little longer, it would be all of the things that Solomon had. And he still said, ah, it's not worth it. This, this place is, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And the more that I'm here, the more homesick I get. And the longer I stay here, the more I learn about the things that we're supposed to do that we aren't doing. And I try. I'm very limited in my ability to help other people. I, uh, and I'm telling you, um, I'm extremely limited. And I'm not talking financially necessarily there are things I wish I could do for people I just can't <clears throat> but this isn't about me this is about the least of these that's where our focus should be we pass them every day we see them every day. We avoid them every day. Why? We should be seeking them out. We want to be around the George Baileys. We want to hang out at Bailey Savings and Loan and have a good time talking to George because he's fun to be with. We don't want to hang out with Potter. We want to go to the potter's field where the throwaways are. Man, what a great name for that guy. Because that's what the Bible talks about, the potter's field where vessels are 
throne that are useless, worthless. We don't want to be around people that don't do anything for us. And I'm not talking about just financially again. I'm talking about people that don't emotionally support us, people that don't uh, make us feel good about ourselves. Uh, I, I hear it all the time, you know, get these negative people out of your life. You know, you don't need anybody dragging you down. Well, I'm sorry. Those, those people need somebody. Those people need somebody to comfort them and lift them up. You know, I, an old preacher friend of mine, I, I hate to use the word friend even, but uh, an old pastor that I, that I know and considered a friend at one time, um, has this saying, you go with the goers. And he's he always talking about it. You know, hey, we've got things to do, and you pitch in, and uh, we're going to move along. If you don't you don't, don't want to jump on the boat, don't jump on the boat. You know, we're going to pass you by. And I understand what he's saying when he says that, because, you know, you, you, you definitely need people that are willing to pitch in and work and you got to get stuff done and and you it, you really have a hard time getting stuff done if you spend all your time trying to motivate people that aren't motivated to get done but the way I look at that is you're leaving you're leaving a fellow soldier behind you're leaving somebody who's wounded and just keep moving with with the guys you got and I and our military is not like that we don't uh, you know well you're injured and you're slowing us down so we're gonna go on without you because we got a battle to fight um, I don't see that I, I think we, we continue fighting the battle but we've got people medics uh, which the Bible would talk about those that are spiritual restoring those that are fallen we've got medics that stop long enough to help this person get back on their feet because we need them they're part of us. Because guess what? You'll be that fallen soldier at some point. And don't you want restoration? Don't you want somebody to bring you back in and make you feel part of the part of the group again? Those fallen people are the least of these. Now we don't want you. You got injured. Uh, you know, if, if you've been injured from the enemy, that's one thing. But you were—that was self-inflicted. You did something stupid. We're done with you. I don't think that's what Matthew twenty-five is talking about. Not only—and I, I know I've said this already—not only does Jesus say that you should do this, He said, "I will cast you into hell if you don't do this." If you don't treat the least of these as though you would treat me, I'm going to throw you into hell. Now, you can explain that away all that you want. You can theologize or whatever the word is and try to explain that away all that you want. But I'm telling you what I read. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what that means. I'm just saying that that's exactly the emotion behind it. 
God wants us to meet the needs of the least of these as though we were meeting His needs. How many times today have you walked by Jesus in disguise, looked at Him in disgust, judged Him, thought yourself better than Him, and went on your oblivious merry way in a life that doesn't matter beyond helping the least of these. If that's not what we're here for, I, I could tell you right now, I don't know what, what it is because I struggle with why we have this life. What, what in the world did God in his infinite wisdom decide to make us all go through this 75 years or so of hell on earth? And of course, a lot of you are thinking, well, my life's pretty good right now, is it? In comparison to eternity in heaven, is your life good right now? I don't think so. Not a one of you would go to heaven for a day and then say, oh, I want to go back to earth. You know, I love the, the, the book and the movie The Shack. I absolutely love it. One of my favorite things. But <clears throat> after Max spends that time with God and is told that he can choose to stay in heaven or go back to his life on earth, he chooses to go back to life on earth. I, I, I call BS on that. There's no way. No way that's going to happen. You know, Paul was on earth when he said, I am in a strait betwixt two. I have the desire to depart, to be in heaven. I have a desire to stay here, to be with you. Um, heaven is far greater. I prefer to go to heaven. But Paul hadn't experienced heaven, so he said, you know, it's, it's beneficial for you, so I'm going to sacrifice that. I'm not going to do myself in, and I know you probably don't, think that that's what Paul was talking about, but I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, he said, I, I have the choice to make and I choose to stay here. I could choose to go to heaven. That sounds to me like a person talking about doing something that would end it because it says his choice to make. So anyway, Paul uh, decides to, to stay on earth. Well, he hadn't experienced heaven. Whatever it is that you love about this earth will all be forgotten someday when you're in heaven. Which means that all the horrible things that we experience while we're on this earth uh, will be all be forgotten someday when we're in heaven. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy things of life. I think that God gave us simple pleasures uh, gave us relationships. I think this is all about relationships. And uh, I think we miss the boat when our relationships are focused on George Bailey's and not focused on the least of these. And uh, well, I guess that's enough. I've made my point. Thank you for listening. <laughs>